Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. I'm so glad you've joined us today. If you've never sent us an email saying, I'm listening to you from city, state, country, we'd love to hear it. We add it to a chalkboard. Well, you know, I don't know if the chalkboard has got all of them on there, but I have them all on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, and it allows me to pray for your countries and cities and states and know that there are people there who are listening to this attempt of ours to encourage you. Modern Homemakers has been around for decades now. We were once homemakers by choice. We have not done much different in all the years. We have determined to follow the Titus 2 principle, which says older women, that would be me, encourage younger women, that would be you, or you are an older woman who is encouraging your own group of younger women to love the Lord your God as a woman of faith, to love the Lord your God as a wife, married, as a mother, and as a homemaker, a keeper of the home, Titus called it. And so we want to continue to do that. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thank you for your letters and emails and notes. And we want to invite you to make your friends our friends. We've just begun to do this the last few shows, and we're going to keep doing it till I have gotten rid of 30 books that I have to give away, written by Elizabeth Elliot. Suffering is never for nothing. This book is never before published. It was put out last year, and it is a revision and compilation of six lessons that Elizabeth taught titled, Suffering is Never for Nothing. And all you have to do is invite one of your friends to listen to one of our podcasts, and then send us an email saying, I'm a friend listening from city, state, and country. That's it. We're not putting anybody on a mailing list. If you want to join a mailing list, we're happy to have you. But we're not gathering names or data. We're not asking anybody for any money. And we're always glad to take your donations because we are a donation-operated work. But that's not what this is about. We want to get in the hands of 30 people this brand-new book called Suffering is Never for Nothing. Elizabeth knew a lot about suffering. I'm just going to read a half of a paragraph. She's talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who go into the fiery furnace um, because God had a message not just for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but also, you remember, for the king. And he said, has your God whom you serve been able to deliver you? And you remember his challenge before he threw him into the furnace. Who is that God shall deliver you out of my hands? <laughs> Daniel chapter 3, verse 15. And then come these ringing words of faith. If so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from a burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. But if not, I love the zeal and vigor. On our last show, I read aloud 
a commencement speech that Elizabeth gave to Eastern College in 1974, she was calling for men and women of that graduating class to be men and women of faith and do what God had called them. Do you think that Daniel said those words with his pals because he thought one day there'd be a book in the Bible called Daniel and we'd be telling the fiery furnace story? He did not. He only knew that he was not going to worship the political king's gods. And I challenge you to invite a friend to get a copy of this book and share it with your friend. Well, we've been talking about home as holy ground, often on the last few weeks, interrupted by our times of remembering Elizabeth Elliot and her five years ago, her leaving us to go to home, where she's been longing to go since she was a young girl. And these uh, sessions have been about your pausing and looking at what holy ground looks like in your life. And I've been going through each of the rooms in your home. I have today before me the dining room, and then we'll do the kitchen, and then we will end with the bathroom, a little on the bathroom, and the bedroom, and not just the bedroom, but the master bedroom, the place of marriage. So today I want to talk about the dining room. All these disheartening aspects of 2020, and other, a lot of other years for that matter, may lead us to cry out the refrain of Ecclesiastes. Do you remember what he said? Havel, Havel. Everything is utterly Havel. A wisp of a vapor. Oh, it just passes by. It means nothing. Yet even as we lament this, very tumultuous time, the Holy Spirit reminds us of Jesus' words to his disciples. And he said to them, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And you know, I think some of these passages and phrases become so really kind of hackneyed. I find myself trying to substitute some of the words so they have more meaning to me, and I, I want to shake my head till all those rattles get out, because what needs to be more meaningful that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Shall I say that about 400 times? I recently sent a thank you note to a young woman who has done so many things for me in the 25 years that I've known her. I thought, what is it I can say thank you? And what I did was I wrote, dear so-and-so, thank you. And then the rest of the page, and I chose a large personal note. I wrote again and again and again. And the word, I don't know how many times I wrote the word again. Again and again and again and again. And that's how I feel about this. How many times can I hear, I have overcome the world, spoken by the Lord himself? It might not feel like Christ has overcome the world in this moment, but he absolutely has his faithfulness endures forever. Soon we will all see an end to the troubles of the world. Our Lord will cast the principalities and powers into the lake of fire, Revelation tells us, and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. I know, but you're tired. I'm tired. And you're hot. Oh no, maybe you're not as hot as I'm. It's 110 in Phoenix. I'm hot. I'm tired of not being able to go out when I want to go out because I have such freedoms. 
I have always had such freedoms. I have my own car and a key to my own car. And I can get out of my car and go pretty much anywhere I want to. When I grew up, we didn't even own a car. My mother and father divorced. My father took the car. My mother didn't know how to drive. She didn't learn how to drive until she was 45 years old. We lived in a big city. We took a bus. We took a subway. Did it take us longer? Yes. And when my mother took me to hear Billy Graham, when I was eight years old, we took a bus and elevated two more buses to get to the arena called Soldier's Field in Chicago on Lake Michigan. Oh. She didn't have a car. She could just jump out and do what she wanted to do. I'm tired. But then I paused long enough to say, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart. And I am calling you to take heart in these circumstances, and I'm calling you to remind you that your home is hallowed ground. And today I want to talk about the dining room. And some of you say, I'm clicking off. I don't have a dining room. Okay, well, maybe you will. But what I want to say to you is that I hope your dining room is not full of papers and books in the classroom. And I hope if you say we don't have one, you'll listen to the rest of what I have to say about the dining room. No matter what you think, no matter what your house floor plan is, I'd like to ask you to lean in to a dining room idea. Okay? If you don't have the dining room, I want you to lean into the dining room idea. My formative years, I had a wide collection of relatives, some who could not wait for a reason to have people over. Now, I fell into that category. I, I cannot tell you that I never leave a friend, I never leave an activity that I don't say, oh, we should have them over. It's my favorite thing to do. It's my favorite thing to do. There's so many things about having people over that are favorites of mine. People coming to my door, my opening the door and saying, welcome, my privilege to prepare for them, my privilege to hear their stories, the laughter in our home when people are there, the tears. Ever wonder where that word came from, people over, come over? Do I have to climb over something to get there? I don't think so. I, I digress a little here. There were others, though, like my mother, being one of them who said, no thanks. I'll wait for my every third year when I have to have Christmas Eve at our house. And when I say that to you, I mean that literally. I do not remember my mother having people in our home for any other reason. And I also remember... It was terror. It was terror, pretty much terror, what we had to do to get ready for Christmas Eve. My mother was never satisfied with how clean the house was. It had to be cleaner. And in those days, we had linoleum floors and hardwood floors, and there were throw rugs everywhere. So we had to wash all the throw rugs, all the bedspreads. We had to clean the house literally so you could eat off the floor. I always wonder where that came from. Nobody ever ate off the floor. And then we had to get the dishes out of the boxes, which we only used every three years, and wash them. It, it was terror. It was just terror. And the poor thing, she was exhausted. And the joke always was, S, her name was Esther, S, we're all here, come out of the bathtub. Because she would never get herself ready, and the doorbell would ring, and she'd run in the bathroom, jump in the bathtub, and get dressed, and we would all wait. That was, that was like, like a joke, but reality. For me, mi casa su casa is just a given, and part of that comes from some great aunts who showed me how to do it, especially my dear Aunt Pat.
The dining room is set apart for activities that happen elsewhere, like eating. So if you are buying or building or giving up the dining room, we had a friend whose husband was in construction. Her name was Judy. And one day, her husband was Jerry. One day, she said to Jerry, I have a brilliant idea in the next house you build. I know how to save easily five or 600 square feet. And he said, really, how is that? Don't build a kitchen. <laughs> We're still laughing over that. That is, that is 30 years ago. Her husband died laughing, and we thought it was the funniest thing we ever heard. Now, the girls found it a lot more funny than the guys did. No matter what you look like, whether you live in a wigwam or a cottage or a teepee, there is a place designated for eating. Isn't that true? There's a place designated. Thomas Howard, who I've been excerpting things from in his book, laughs and says, stuffy, hardly, eating is undignified. It's chewing and swallowing and enzymes and gases. <laughs> I read it and just laughed out loud. I mean, when you think about it, and isn't one of the things we try to get our children to do, stop talking with your mouth full of food, because who wants to see somebody masticating all that food? But eating is a ceremony of sorts. Mm, less ceremonial these days than ever. <clears throat> the statistics are off the charts. And let me say to you that there is a video that I did. It's called The Power of the Table. And during this pandemic time, it has been made free to you. That talks about the sociology, the psychology, and the theology of eating at a table. But eating is a ceremony. You, if you're eating at a table with regular food, you need a knife and a napkin, maybe a placemat, maybe a tablecloth, maybe even if you're going to in and out burgers, they want to know, are you eating it in the car or taking it home? And if you're eating in the car, they give you more stuff. They give you more napkins. They give you this little placemat. I always think, do you put that on your lap or where do you put it? But, but this is kind of a ceremony. They give you different tools if you're eating it. The power of the table and the absence of it. We have heard from thousands of people who said they did not eat one meal a week at a table with others. I always wonder where they ate. Some of the stories we heard at the kitchen counter in my bedroom watching television, in the TV room on a TV tray, or on a paper plate, or out of a paper bag. So where did this eating start with tools and a table? I have a friend who says, seriously, if food ever came in a paste, that's what he would buy. He would buy pastes of, and then he's very physically fit, but he would buy protein, right measured amounts of protein and right measured amounts of carbs and fruits and vegetables. He thinks about food in those categories only, and there he goes. I don't know. I think humans really love ceremony. Just look at how our families do it and how you say it and how you eat it and what you do. And for events, we almost always say, this is what we have on Easter. This is what we have for Christmas. This is what we do for birthdays. Some of us want to ditch the past ceremonial experiences because they're fraught with difficulties. And I want to encourage you and re-encourage you to recreate. You don't have to do it the way your mother did. You don't have to make the Jello recipe with 93 grams of sugar in it. But recreate the ceremony in your family. 
I want to encourage you to invite others to make changes with you. It's not easy, but it can be done. The ordinaries of every day become rituals, and eating is an essential ritual. Can all form meals be formal? No. Can they all be eaten at home? No, not really. However, they don't need to be stuffed down and eaten in rapido time. There should be some opportunity to be some ritual in your home for eating. I know. Where did fast food come from? Well, I suppose we could blame Ray Kroc. And he was interested in hamburgers so we could sell more hamburgers faster and make more money. And I want to tell you that that is a very popular theme in Western civilization, especially America. What can we do to make more money and how can we do it faster? Thank you to the microwave. Thank you to food delivery. Thank you to technology. I want you to know during the pandemic, I've been grateful for some of those things. But the pandemic will be over. And I want to ask you, are you considering at all changing anything that has been different? We had a lot of requests. What do I do when I'm feeding a family three times a day and they're eating at home all three meals? What do I serve them? How do I do it? We've had a lot of stories and we've seen a lot of wonderful pieces on the television about families dancing and singing and playing games and being together over meals. Could I encourage you to take this newness with you and move it into another part of your life? A commonplace. The dining room doing commonplace necessary things, but maybe just a bit more because it's the dining room. It's a different location. Maybe it's a candle. Maybe a few of you use never used dishes before. I can remember just saying to my little family, we're eating in the dining room, and my daughter would say, with the pretty dishes? She knew there were pretty dishes and not so pretty dishes. And then I can remember when our grandchildren were little, and we, we tried to make it as much fun as possible with little children sitting at a bigger table in a bigger room with pretty dishes. And one of the things we did was we wanted to create memories around those meals, but we wanted to make it common and ordinary plus create the memory. So the tone changed a little. And they could be won over with food. Anybody can be won over for a place to eat it if what's on their plate is their favorite food. I invited four young men who happened to share my birthday for a high tea. Did you hear me? High tea, pink china, pink napkins. I told them to wear hats and they all wore their baseball caps and their shorts and their t-shirts. And they sat down to my beautiful high tea table. They didn't care about the china or the pink or anything. They looked at the food on the plate, which was their favorite food. They were so happy to be so if it's granola or pizza or filet mignon, put something on the table that your family want to eat. A meal is necessary and it's quite common, but there's something beyond it. At the root of all life, it's the principle of exchange. My life for yours. You're going to hear me say that about this room and then about the kitchen. My life for yours. We are receiving life by eating food, swallowing it, ingesting it, what is common and necessary. And three times a day when the sugar level drops 
we take the ordinary and make it sacred. It's a ritual, and it gives some substance. Mothers have an instinct about this lifestyle. It's an exchange life. It's the supper table. It's the supper table of your family, like the supper table of Christ, the communion, the breaking of the bread, the pouring of the wine. It is holy, and so it's holy ground, and your table is holy ground inside your home. Except a grain fall to the ground and die, we have no food. Except that Christ went to the cross, we have no life. And in the commencement speech I read just a couple of days ago, Elizabeth uses that quote in our exchange lives as a graduate and what we're going out to do for the rest of the world. The Jewish Sabbath of Friday night, the candles and the lighting of the candles, the special foods and special breads. So if you have a dining room, would you consider using it? Mark the business of life, the holiness, the sacrifice, the joyful noise. Fill your stomach, the ordinary. Fill your heart, the fellowship, the relationships. Fill your mind with activities that draw us, that say you are invited. You are welcome here. We will break bread with you. When our grandchildren were little, I knew very well they had to have some bribe. And I said to my daughter and her husband, is it all right if I bribe the children? And they laughed, saying, Mother, you bribe the children with a lot of things, don't you? And not really. I, I, I don't think that bribing is the way to do life. I don't think it's certainly the way to train children. But they were at Nana's house. And the bribe was, if we get through the table without too much of a disaster. Remember, there's going to be spills. That's why we recommend those terry cloth fingertip towels for napkins because when a little one spills it in the dining room, if he breaks a glass, it's okay. It's just a glass. It's done and over. But when the dinner was over, we all played musical chairs. Didn't matter who was around the table. We turned our chairs Everybody got up, one person was left out, Nana ran the machine, and we played musical chairs to one of their favorite songs. They didn't walk in the house without asking, are we eating in the dining room, and will we play musical chairs? Now, I have to tell you, there were a few grandpas who didn't really want to do that, but they did. The table in the tabernacle, the tabernacle that the Jews built to house the glory of God, was 27 inches high just like the table you sit at. This function and appropriateness. Now, don't mix metaphors by doing the laundry on the dining table. If you own it, use it. If your mother or aunt or mother-in-law is waiting you to take it off your hand, take it, store it, pass it on, put it someplace where it can be used. My dear granddaughter is waiting for her great-grandmother's china and my dear niece, who lives in Iowa, waited for her grandmother to die. And I had a trucking company come, and I paid hard money to deliver her grandmother's dining room table to her because she had wanted it. This is not about cost or high end. This is just about a place called the dining room. And get ready. And then get ready for who and why and what will happen. We invited a couple from our church we didn't know them. It was a new church. I'll never forget it. My husband always asks a question around the table. Some of our friends have called it the dumb auto question. 
but it's really not the dumb auto question. It's the auto dumb question. You see the difference there, don't you? It's kind of a joke at the table. So he asked the question, as he always does, and it went around the table. Strangers with each other, several of them. And there was this one couple who we had never had in our home. And he began to tell his own story of church life. All of a sudden, this gay laughing answers that had been all around the table, and out came this heartfelt, full of, I'm so glad to be around this table with people who love God. I felt so alone and out of place. It was a stunning moment of which, I must tell you candidly, in the first moments I thought, oh no, oh no, this, no, oh no, is this appropriate? Oh no, what might happen? But immediately I settled myself and saw what was happening. So who's going to sit at your table? And where are they going to sit? And how will they sit? Well, I might say Eliana should sit next to you. She's my granddaughter. And she'll charm the socks off of you. Oh, that's only if you're willing to engage in her conversation. Take an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, write names down it, and figure out who should sit next to who. I suppose the head of the table has always been, you know, the seat of honor, at least until King Arthur and his round table. But whatever you do, try your dining room out. I can do it in my sleep now. I can get ready for a dining room dinner. I have all the junk. I've been gathering it for years. A different set of napkin ring holders, glasses of different sorts, table food around the table. It doesn't matter what the food is. The food doesn't matter at all. Take it out of a Costco container and put it on the table. The dining room. A holy room in a holy house. Hallowed ground. Is your dining room being used? Are you setting aside the ordinary of eating three times a day to making it just a smaller ceremony or celebration that looks different to commemorate what God called us to do in breaking bread together and remembering his breaking of the bread for our life of faith? I'm Donna Otto. This is Modern Homemakers. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make a dining room table experience somewhere in your home for your family.